If you're an accredited investor looking for an incredible opportunity to invest your money, I have exactly what you're looking for. I have put together a fund where we are loaning money to fix and flip investors for their investment properties. And I'm looking for investors right now. We provide steady income for our investors. We are focused on capital preservation. We have minimum target of returns that we plan on giving back to our investors. And this opportunity is incredible. Like I said, this fund is lending to the best of the best. And we're looking for people to come aboard and be investors and go along for the ride as this thing grows. I'm super excited about it. Right now, we're only talking to accredited investors. So if that's you and you want more information, reach out to me at mike at juststartrealestate.com and I will get you all the information. Guys, this fund is amazing and we are so different from everybody else. And one of the biggest differences, we don't just lend money to anybody. Anybody who comes along with an application doesn't get money from us. You have to have a track record. We have to know that your business is strong and healthy. And that's who we lend to because our commitment to our investors is that we will protect their money and we will give them consistent, reliable returns. Guys, if you're interested in this and you want to come along on that journey with me and my company, reach out to me now, mike at juststartrealestate.com. I cannot wait to talk to you. And you receive that in the mail and it's on like high quality paper and and it's just super compelling. I have to read it. That's great. But if I'm not in the market to sell my, my house, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to read it, right? Or if I'm not in the market for whatever it is you're selling or trying to trying to do with that message, it's going to go in the garbage because it's not something that I'm interested in right now. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, guys, thank you for joining me on the show today. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, being here for another live rebroadcast, or I should say rebroadcast of the live Q&A that I do every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. And this was a fun one. A lot of good questions, a lot of stuff that we covered that I think you guys are going to be very interested in. Uh, among them, um, talking about direct mail and what the best practices are there, how to get the most out of your direct mail, how to grow your buyers list. We talked about short-term rentals, the current real estate market, uh, tips for finding active buyers and more. Guys, we covered a ton of ground and lots of good stuff in this episode. So check it out. I will also say real quick too, uh, if you haven't heard, I have launched a new program. And this program is designed for anyone who wants to start their real estate business but hasn't taken those steps yet because they don't know exactly what to do and they're a little bit gripped by fear. Or if you've started your business and you're just not seeing the growth, you're not you're not seeing the scale, it's not profitable, you're just not, you're struggling to make it move forward in a meaningful way, I've got you covered. It's called the Business Fast Track Blueprint and it was designed by me uh, after years of working with a lot of different investors, a lot of different entrepreneurs and drawing on my own experiences of the struggles that I've gone through, I've created a very quick and effective way for you to launch your business or to take it to the next level. And if you go to businessfasttrackblueprint.com, you can check it out. I encourage you to do that. Guys, go get it. I am, I've started this program, and let me tell you something. If you think that I am not interested in everybody who joins 
being highly successful and getting 10 times more than the cost of the program out of it, you're crazy because that's all I want. Uh, I am I am so committed and ready to help people and all you have to do is go sign up. So if you go to businessfasttrackblueprint.com, you can check it out, sign up, and I want to see you on the inside of that program. So go do it now. All right, guys, without any further delay, I give you my latest Facebook Q&A. All right, guys, we are live. Thank you for coming to my Q&A. I appreciate it. We do this every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Uh, this is sort of an inside secret, but I've had nothing but technical problems every single time I've done this. This is the first time I believe it's going off without a hitch. I'm hoping that I'm right about that. I'm hoping you guys are going to bring your uh, your questions uh, to this. Uh, you guys continue to email you send me DMs, you send me Facebook messages with questions, and we kind of sort through them and we, uh, we pick the ones that uh, I think would be the most interesting. And sometimes we take questions where we get, you know, three or four or five versions of kind of the same question and we, we kind of consolidate that into one, one question so that we can answer it um, because you guys ask the questions in a lot of different ways. So uh, rather than answer the same questions in a bunch of different ways, we, uh, we just consolidate those. So uh, feel free to ask questions in the comments though, if you would like, that's welcome and encouraged for sure. Uh, but otherwise I will be uh, answering questions that I have gotten uh, via, like I said, email and DMs and all the ways that you guys are sending in questions. So um, go ahead and send me those questions. And you, like I said, you can, uh, you can uh, comment here uh, and ask me questions that way. That's totally fine. I think this actually takes a second to load up for everybody to get all of your comments. Uh, let's see here. Uh, if anybody, let's see, yeah, people are starting to come in now. That's cool. I am going to uh, go ahead and get started. Uh, there is a question um, that I get a lot, and, and this week was no uh, exception. And it's really real estate specific. So I'm going to answer that. Uh, if you're a real estate investor, which I know a lot of you are that follow me, you're a real estate investor, uh, you're in one of the real estate groups that I'm in, uh, I'm going to answer the question that I have gotten this week and, and I get it all the time. And it's one that I like to answer because I think it's super important. And uh, it's, a, it's one of those things where when you start going down the path of doing marketing, uh, especially in real estate, uh, people... Um, you know, they start with various uh, methods of trying to trying to find deals, trying to get leads, and one of the most common is direct mail, right? And then, so last year when COVID hit, there were areas where direct mail got a little less effective, and my market was one of those areas. Um, but in general, over the last five or six years, my company has really profited from direct mail. That's probably been. Uh, about 70% of our revenue has come from direct mail. So that's a lot. And I've done a lot of trial and error, a lot of testing and a lot of trying a lot of different things. And, um, and what people ask me, and I, I got this question over the last week is, should I use postcards? Should I use letters? Should I do something else like door hangers, which isn't direct mail, but it's kind of like people go around and hang those on the doors. Like what, what kind of written, uh, marketing should I be using? And in my market, I have tried extensively. I've tried postcards and I've also tried letters. And these are the two types of direct mail that people tend to kind of go back and forth and debate. Do I use letters? Do I use postcards? Um, and then there's subsets of those questions. Like, do I use like 
a handwriting font or do I have somebody handwrite them? There's also machines out there now that will kind of simulate handwriting. And is that important? And I'm not going to get into the handwriting fonts because A, I don't use them and B, I don't know that they make that big of a difference. However, you may disagree. Um, but what I will talk about is postcard versus letters. And I, I literally just had a conversation about this a couple of weeks ago when I was in Cancun with the seven figure group. Uh, I had this question and then I got it again in my email uh, for this Q&A. So I'm going to answer it again. And, um, and, and here's what I think. So direct mail is a lot less about the, the, the method that you bring the message or the way that you uh, approach uh, your, your copy or what exactly your postcard or letter says, it's more about timing than it is the message. Now, it doesn't mean the message isn't important. And anybody who out there who's a copywriter or someone who's into marketing really heavily will say, well, you might be turning this off right now. I get it. The copy matters and what you say matters, but it doesn't matter as much as timing. Okay. So if I send you a letter right now, that's well written. Uh, the message is great. The call to action is great. The fonts and all the graphics are just impeccable, right? Perfect. Like award-winning, award-winning copy, award-winning graphics. And you receive that in the mail and it's on like high quality paper and, it, and it's just super compelling. I have to read it. That's great. But if I'm not in the market to sell my my house, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to read it, right? Or if I'm not in the market for whatever it is you're selling or trying to trying to do with that message, it's going to go in the garbage because it's not something that I'm interested in right now. But if you send me a poorly worded letter or a very poorly worded po postcard, or your message is sort of not great, and maybe the call to action isn't super clear, but you know you can kind of figure it out. But I'm in a need, I have a need or in the market to sell my house at that moment. And maybe I had a life event. Maybe I lost my job. Maybe I got um, transferred and I have to sell my house. Maybe, you know, my wife said she wanted a divorce or your husband says that he wants to, he's going to leave. He wants a divorce. Like you have to sell for some reason. Um, then whatever method that that message gets to you, it's going to be more effective than the well-crafted message that came at the wrong time, the poorly crafted message or the, um, you know, the lower quality message that hits you at the exact right time is going to be more effective. So if you agree with, or at least are going to buy into that premise that I just told you, it's about timing more than it is about the, the style of the message, then if timing is important, then it's important that we get in front of people at the right time, as often as possible. And because letters are more expensive than postcards, I typically tell people you should use postcards if that's if that's what you're doing. If it's like letters or postcards and you have a budget, and, and the reason I'm saying, you know, postcards are cheaper because they are, the reason why that makes a difference is people won't say, I'm going to send out 10,000 of whatever, and I don't care what the price is. I know I'm going to send out 10,000. doesn't matter if letters are more expensive or not. I'm just going to send out a certain amount. Most people work the other way. They say, my budget for the month is, you know, whatever it is, $5,000. Like that's the most I can spend on direct mail. If you want to get the most bang for that $5,000, then postcards is really going to be the way to go, in my opinion, because I've bought hundreds and hundreds over the last six years. I've probably bought, you know, 
almost 600 houses and almost all of the direct mail that I've done has been postcards. I've tried letters. I saw no difference. And so I went away from them because they're more expensive. And like I said, you know, postcards and direct mail has been about 70% of the revenue that I've made. So of those, you know, almost 600 houses, 70% of them were bought with a postcard because the postcard hit at the time when the seller needed that message they needed to sell. And so they called me. It wouldn't have mattered if I wrote it in a letter or on a postcard. They were going to call because they were in need at that time. So that is that is what I say when it, the question is letters versus postcards. I'm always going to tell you postcards because, and again, now you're, if you're using a postcard, it doesn't mean the message doesn't matter, right? So w- whether you're doing a letter or postcard, you want to make sure that the, the message is clear. It's concise. The call to action is very, very clear. The fonts are, are very easy to read and simple. Like that's, that's kind of like the one-on-one of any kind of direct mail piece is you want a clear call to action. You want it to be very easy to understand what you're, what you're asking for, because a lot of the stuff's being opened over the garbage, honestly. And if it doesn't capture their attention or they can't understand what is being, uh, what the marketing message is, it's go- It's going to go right in the garbage. So just make sure your, your, your message is very clear, whether it's a letter or a postcard. Okay. Angela says uh, question. I am panicked about starting my own business, but desperate, uh, desperate to at the same time. Okay. How do I get out of my own way? So over the last five years, and I think I mentioned this in the last Q and a, I'm hundred percent convinced you guys hundred percent that people are in their own way when it comes to starting a business, then they are needing more information, right? People ask for more information when really what they need is someone to help them like get like right mentally, like get out of their own way, like Angela is saying. Um, so how do you get out of your own way and how do you stop being panicked? You know, it's funny if I said, you know, if you're afraid of heights and I said, we're going to go skydiving, you would probably say no, because you're afraid of heights. But, you know, if, if skydiving meant you were going to save your parents' lives or, you know, you were going to be able to cure somebody's cancer. Like you would jump out of the plane, you would get over it because the desire to do that thing or to fix that problem would be greater than your fear. So what you need to do in that case is, you know, you're not going to probably save someone's life by starting a business. So that that's sort of out the window. But what you can do is, is you can figure out what it is that motivates you to start that business. In other words, what is your why? Why, why do you want to start the business? And if you don't have a compelling why, it's going to be really tough because that panic and that fear is going to take hold and, it's, and you're not going to be able to make it stop because you don't know why you want to do it. But when you become clear about it, and I had this conversation recently with this exact conversation recently with somebody, um, and I know that they want to start a real estate investing business. And they've been wanting to start a real estate investing business for about three years now. And I asked them what it is that's stopping them. And they really didn't know. They really didn't have a great answer because all they had, all they could think of, of why they wanted to start the business was to make money and to make a lot of money. And because you guys know, I've said it already in the, in the, in the few Q and A's that I've done, money is a lot like sugar. It can satisfy you. It can, it can charge you up. It can give you energy. Uh, but it's short term. It doesn't last. And so using money as a motivator to start a business or do anything, it's just not 
sustainable because that's not really the reason. That's the surface reason. That's the reason on the surface. But having more money, what that means to you, what that will do for you or for your family or for your loved ones or whatever, like that's usually the motivation. And honestly, as many times as I've gone through this exercise with people to understand what their why is, it's never really the money, but 90% of the people start there. They go, well, I want to make more money. I want to be financially independent, right? But money isn't, isn't what it is. So when you start digging, what I usually find out is it's attached somehow to freedom. And it could be just freedom of the stress of, of not being able to pay bills or not you know, being able to meet financial obligations. But a lot of times what it is, is, is people subconsciously or really deep inside, they attach the, the making of money to having time freedom or the freedom to choose how they spend their time. And that could be for a number of reasons. Maybe it is because they have, you know, a parent or somebody, a sick loved one who they, they want to be able to spend time and take care of, and they want the money to take care of them and they want the time to be able to be there for them. And so that's their why for some people, it's their kids. A lot of times it's kids, you know, maybe they had a parent who wasn't there for them, uh, wasn't able to be around very much because they were working all the time and they don't want to repeat that. And so they want to make a lot of money. They want to start a business because they want time freedom. Right. And that's a whole like separate thing because, Sometimes when people start a business, they go from working 40 hours a week to working 60 or 80 hours a week because they start a business and then they become a slave to it, right? So that's a whole different discussion, but you have to figure out to, to answer Angela's question to get that panic to go away or to at least make it go back far enough that you can still take action. You have to build a significant, compelling why that you're emotionally attached to and moved by and something that will cause you. In other words, if, if your desire to start the business and to create that maybe time freedom, it has to become greater than your fear of actually doing it. Or you have to come up with something that scares you more than starting the business. And for me, regret, like I knew I wanted to start my business and it took me a long time, by the way. So the person I was talking to uh, last week, who it's, it's been three years, it took me five, right? So they're still ahead of me. It took me five to get started after I thought that I wanted to start. Um, but for me, I, I needed the fear of regret of not doing it and regretting it became more scary than actually doing it. And so if fear and, and panic is holding you back, you need to find something that panics you more about not starting your business. And, and again, maybe it's because your kids are going to grow up and you're, they're not even going to hardly know you because you work so much or you can't go to their, their sporting events or their musicals or their plays or whatever. Like you, you want to be there for that. And the thought of them remembering you as a parent who wasn't there, that can be pretty scary and pretty powerful. And that could motivate you to actually take action when you're otherwise too afraid. So just find out what it is that, that is either gets you more excited than scares you about starting a business or scares you more than the panic that you're feeling about starting the business. Honestly, you can be motivated by desire or fear. Um, for some people, fear is just a bigger motivator. So they need to find a bigger fear, right? I'm a scared, I'm afraid of snakes, but if I was being chased by a bear, like through snakes, I would probably run because I really probably be more afraid of the bear than I would be the snake. So you, you have to find out what is that bear for you and what's going to propel you forward. 
or what makes you so excited that you don't even care about being panicked. So that's what, that's my two cents there. But I think that's the biggest thing. A lot of people come to me and they want, they want answers to their specific business problems. And it's really more about their, their fear and their lack of belief in themselves that, that they need to have fixed. It's not usually that they don't have enough information because the information is available and, and I can give them the information, but it doesn't mean they're going to do anything. Um, I've given people a lot of information about business and starting a business or um, a real estate you know, investing company. I've given them a lot of advice and, and some people take off and just do great things and some people do nothing. And it's more mindset than it is the tools because the tools are out there. Okay. Um, what are your thoughts on, so Angel's asking me again here, on, what are your thoughts on the Airbnb <clears throat> market space? So it's a great question. Short-term rentals. Um, I, I have a lot of friends who are buying a lot of short-term rental properties. Uh, it's something I'm interested in. I haven't taken the steps yet to do it, but what are my thoughts on it? I think it's a, a super strong market. I think it was strong before. Uh, my initial reaction when COVID hit was it's going to really crush that industry. But as it turns out, I think it's actually going to strengthen it in the long run. Because even though hopefully COVID will be a thing of the past in the near future, I think people are still going to have a little hesitation. And some people are still going to be a little bit nervous about close quarter living. So like hotels and things that are really getting really, really taken it in the, in the mouth right now uh, with COVID. I think that that industry is in for some real long-term correction. And I think that people are going to gravitate toward Airbnbs because they're not close quarters with a bunch of strangers in a big hotel, right? All packed in into this little, you know, Petri dish of, of potential COVID cases that they're just mingling with. So I think that, um, I think that Airbnbs are really, really great in a great place right now. I think that market's hot. I think it's going to stay hot. Um, and I think a lot more people are going to be getting into it who maybe were into long-term rentals before. Um, but frankly, long-term rentals are probably going to be really, really strong going forward also. Um, so I think that Airbnbs are, are a great play. I think it's a great space. And I think if that's something you're interested in, you should take action now because, you know, house prices are going up. We know that. So, um, and I don't know when they're going to come down or how, they're, how far they're going to come down. Nobody really knows. There's a lot of people who will tell you a lot of things, right? Um, I, I don't think they're, well, I know they're not going to keep going up indefinitely. I, that can't happen. It's just, I don't even think it's possible. It's not, not possible at all. I do think they're going to level out this year at some point and probably dip a little bit, maybe later this year or sometime next year. Um, but I think the, the Airbnb space is really, really strong. And the, some people that I know that are actually in that space right now and really going for it and buying, buying property and, and turning them into short-term rentals are some of the smartest people that I respect a ton in the industry. And, and so I know that it's going to be a really, really strong market. Uh, it's something I'll probably eventually get into. It's just, I've got too much going on right now. And one of my goals for this year was to simplify and getting into Airbnb is not, is not simplifying. It's actually complicating things a little bit for me. So uh, not something I'm doing full honesty and transparency, but I think it's something that if you are interested and that's something you were thinking about doing, I would not be afraid to do it. I would a hundred percent do that. I think it's a great, great market right now. Okay. Uh, let's see here. We have had some great, uh, let's see, boom. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, so we've had some good, yeah, we've had some Airbnb people on that were awesome on my podcast. So you can go to Just Start Real Estate. 
uh, on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen. And uh, we've had some Airbnb folks on there that are really, really great. Um, okay, uh, next question. What are your thoughts on the current real estate market and how high the prices of homes are? So I kind of just a little bit touched on that, but I think, again, you know, if you, I'll be honest, nobody knows. I really don't believe anybody knows. I, and I've listened to Dave Ramsey and like some of these other guys out there talking. Um, and I have some friends that have weighed in on this too, that I don't a thousand percent agree with. But here, here's the thing. If you look at the history of real estate, I mean, the history of it, it always goes up and down. Now, the long-term trajectory is, is up. It's been up for decades, right? Going up, but it's like up and then a little bit down and up and down and it kind of climbs over time. Um, but there's always ups and downs and corrections in the market. I really believe that it's going to slow down at some point this year. Uh, it's not going to stop. It's probably going to slow down. And sometime next year, we're going to see a leveling off and a dip. That's, that's what I think. Our price is going to go back to like 2008 when it really tanked. I don't think so. And, and I, and I had people on my podcast, um, you know, eight months ago who were saying that that's exactly what was going to happen, that the market was going to correct in a way like we'd never seen before. And it was going to go lower than it, it went in 2008. Now I've not circled back and asked those folks what they thought now, but I don't think that personally, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't see, I don't think we're going to see house prices just plummet like that. But I, I do believe what a pendulum always kind of does this, right? And, and the real estate pendulum has always done this. And so I think right now the pendulum is super duper high. And I think it's just, it's just logical and common sense that it's going to come back to normal a little bit. I just don't know that it's going to crash like it did in, in the past, but it's going to, it's going to slow down. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but it's going to slow down. And I think we're going to see a minor correction at the very least. We're going to see house prices get back to somewhat normal, um, which is great because I'm in the market to buy a house and I'm kind of hoping it'll happen sooner rather than later, but I'm not waiting because I honestly, at this point, don't know how low it's going to go. I don't think it's going to go super low. And so I'm out there looking for a house right now and I'm fine with buying it in this market because it's going to be a long-term house for me. And, and so, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, it'll, it'll be just fine. It'll have appreciated in that amount of time, no matter what happens in the short term. So if you're looking to buy a house and you're planning on buying and selling within the next five years, I would probably tap the brakes. I'd be a little bit cautious about that. But if you're going to buy a house, maybe, maybe it's a rental or a Airbnb, and you want to keep it for 10 or more years, I think you're totally fine. It's just my opinion because I'm being asked, but I think you're totally fine. Um, yeah. Okay. So here's another question I, I got this week. And this is, these are coming from real, some of these are coming from real estate folks. So some of these are real specific real estate questions. So, but I know I have a lot of real estate folks on the call. Um, Another question I got this week is how do I grow my buyers list? Now, for those of you who don't who don't know what that means or why they're asking, typically that's a, a question I get from a wholesaler, someone who goes out, and this is what, what my real estate company does a lot of. This is what we primarily do. We go out and do marketing to try to find sellers who are uh, who want to sell their house fast for cash. Okay. Most sellers in the real estate market sell through realtors. That's just normal. That's what most people do. They, they want to move 
and they call a realtor and they put their house up for sale. It goes on the MLS and they let people walk through and it takes however long it takes. Right now, the market's super hot, so it doesn't take long. But traditionally, you might have to wait three to six months to sell your house for what you want if you're not willing to reduce quite a bit. And, uh, and that's how they do it. But my company specifically markets to try to find people who are not interested in selling on the MLS for whatever reason. They might have a house that is in severe disrepair, uh, meaning it needs a lot to it. It needs a lot done to it, a lot of repairs. Or you know, they have a life event, you know, a death, divorce, job placement, job, uh, job uh, displacement, um, job transfer. Um, maybe it's just that they want to downsize, you know, the kids have moved, got, they've moved out and, and the house is just too big to, to maintain. So there's a lot of reasons why people sell. And some people are just in behind in taxes or whatever. There's things that happen in people's lives that make them want to sell their house fast. Some people are in foreclosure and they want to sell before they lose their house. So my company actively looks for that that seller who is who wants to sell uh, fast and is willing and able to sell their house at a discount. And we find those opportunities, we get them under contract, and then we assign the contract to a buyer, usually a house flipper or a landlord who wants to buy the house. Now, those house flippers and landlords, I have a, a private buyers list that I typically interact with. And so the question is, how do I grow my buyers list? They wanna know how they can identify and put on their, their list of buyers, landlords and house flippers, and maybe people who are putting together Airbnb portfolios. How do you build that list? Well, there's a lot of reasons that you would want to build the list, and there's a lot of ways to do it. The reason you want to build that list, you know, it doesn't take thousands of people um, to build a, to have a buyer's list. You can have a buyer's list that has a couple dozen people on it. If they're all really, really strong, active buyers, that can work just fine. But the reality is, the bigger your list, the more likely you are to find people or to add people that are real serious buyers. So my buyer's list is like 4,500 people. I don't sell to 4,500 people. I sell to about 20 people, probably maybe 30, like not a lot, like 30, 40 people probably buy all my houses. But my list is bigger because you know, for every 100 people you put on there, you might find somebody who's actually really, really serious and they're really buying houses actively. So it's important to, to grow that list. Now, the best way to do it is to go to like meetups and RIAs and, and in-person events and talk to home uh, flippers, house flippers and landlords and Airbnb landlords and talk and meet those people in person, shake their hand, get to know them, find out what they're looking for and ask them if they would like to be on your list of, of buyers. So when you find an off-market property, they will have access to it. That's, that's probably one of the best ways to do it. The problem with it is it's slow. And during the time of like a pandemic, a lot of these meetings have been canceled or postponed. And some of these RIAs have just completely gone away because it just was too hard to maintain with all the restrictions. So um, meeting people in person is always a great way to go about it, but there's other ways to do it. You can, um, you know, there's, there's services like one of them is called list source list source is it's a, it's a service where you can buy lists. Basically you can, you can um, go on their site. You can put in criteria, like maybe you want to look for homes that are, you know, more than twenty years old, um, behind on taxes. The owners are a little bit older, so they might have kids that have grown, grown and moved on, and they have a house that is just too big for them. Like you can build this the set of criteria, and then you can download the list and you can send mail to it. Um, you can also take 
that, that service, list source, and you can reverse engineer uh, what a buyer would look like. And you can mail directly to them and try to get them on your buyer's list. So what that might look like is you might go into list source and the criteria that you would look for when you go on there is you want to find a buyer who purchased a property recently, maybe in the last six months, where there's no mortgage attached to the house, meaning they paid cash. And it's a non-owner occupied or absentee owner, meaning they don't live there. And they purchased it with an LLC, right? And a business entity. So if you find someone who bought a house in the last six months, there was no mortgage, they don't live there, and they bought it in an LLC, that's an investor. You, you just found an investor buyer who you can reach out to and say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. Would you like to see off-market opportunities as they become available? And typically those folks will say yes, because they are investors. And they do want to see more opportunities, certainly off-market opportunities. So that's a great way to build your buyer's list. But like in-person handshakes, meeting them, getting to know them, that's a real solid way to build your buyer's list. It's just hard to scale. So sometimes you go to a service where you can buy a list of people who are, who are buyers, who are investors, and you can send them a letter and, and just tell them what you do and what, what you'd like. And, and if they want to get on your list, they can do that. So that's a great way to build a buyer's list. Matthew said, working on your buyer's list now. Awesome. That's a, that's a way, great way to do it. Here's another little ninja trick I can, I can teach you too. So if you're in a market with other wholesalers, I would suggest as a wholesaler, you get on the list of all the other wholesalers in your market. Okay. This is a very kind of a, a cool way to find out who the active buyers are that other people are selling to. So get on the other buyers list of all the other wholesalers. When they put a house out on their list to, to you as one of the people on their buyers list and everybody else, just keep a spreadsheet of those houses, of uh, their address. And then after about two or three months, you want to skip trace those houses. And skip tracing is basically where you, you send an address to a company, that's a skip tracing company, and they send you back the name the phone number, sometimes the email address of the person who owns that house. And what you do by doing that is you, you wait two or three months, these wholesalers send out houses, you wait two or three months, you skip trace them, you're finding out who the owner is. That's the person who bought it from them. That's their buyer, right? So like, how do I find out who all my competitors are selling to? That's how you do it. You get on their list and, and skip trace all their houses after two or three months and you find out who their buyers are. So that's another way to build your buyers list with active, actual active buyers. Okay. Um, on here now, Dave, love it. Hey Dave, how's it going, man? Uh, hey Mike, I just list, listed a house that I did a full reno on and priced it aggressively, i.e. high. Love it. Uh, it's comparable to what's on the market right now, though traffic has been kind of light due to the high price, I believe, but I got full price as is offer. Oops, see more. This is exciting. A full price as is offer with VA financing and no inspection contingency. The issue is the buyers have not been to the house and are buying based just on the pictures. Would you accept that offer or keep it on the market for the weekend, hoping for another offer? Okay. I'm going back to look here. You said you just listed it. Doug, I'm going to assume that you mean that you listed it like today or yesterday. Here's my... That's a great question, by the way. And this is a, a difficult, this is a difficult game of chicken that people play with their houses. And I'll tell you my opinion, and there could be people who disagree, but this is my QA show. So I'm gonna tell you my opinion. I would say if you got a full price as is, no contingencies offer, sight unseen, you need 
to hold on. Put a highest and best date out there. That's maybe Monday morning or Monday at noon. And I would, I would hold on personally. Now, a lot of people will tell you, you got a full price offer as is like, take it. Like that's what you wanted. You got what you wanted. But in my experience selling over 600 houses in the last six, seven years is if you get a full price offer like that on a house that you have listed, there are higher offers coming usually. Now, um, I doubt if the person wants it that bad that they're going to disappear in a couple of days if you don't take their offer. Um, but I would just let them know at this point, you know, the interest is high and you're going to wait and you're going to take highest and best. And everyone has until Monday at noon to give you that, right? Today's Wednesday night. It's only a couple of days. I seriously doubt that person is going to run away. Now, the, the risk you're taking though, is they say, forget you. And they go on and buy a different house and no other offers come in, right? You did say that it's been a little bit light. Let's see, traffic has been kind of light. I really would like to know, um, Doug, if you could tell me how long ago you listed it, because that does make a difference to me. Um, if you listed this a week ago, and you've gotten really no traffic, and then all of a sudden somebody comes out of the woodwork and offers you full price, that's a different story. If you listed it you know, yesterday, and traffic was light for a day, but now all of a sudden you're getting full price, Monday. Okay, thank you. Today's Wednesday, you had it listed by since Monday, I'd wait. Monday's not long enough personally. Yeah, traffic might've been light, but it's because you listed it on a Monday, right? People are back to work. It's just not convenient usually for people to get and take a look at houses. I would wait until the end of the weekend, um, but you are taking a risk. You're risking that that buyer could walk away. It's just in my experience, someone that aggressively wanting the house full price sight unseen and they waive their inspection contingency, they love the house, they love it. They'll wait a couple of days, they will. Um, but you, as the person who listed the house, like your, your objective is to, is to maximize the value of the house. And with a market the way it is right now, if the market was in decline, I, I'd have a totally different answer for you. The market is, is super hot. And so I would wait personally, I'd wait a couple more days and, and wait and see what other interest you get, but it's a great offer for sure. So you can't go wrong, but I would wait. My guess is you're going to get higher than asking offer. If you wait, that's a good question. All right, guys, it's been a half an hour. Any other questions, put them up now or forever hold your peace. That's all I had. Um, but I will riff for a second in case somebody has another question. Um, guys, I do this every Wednesday, Wednesday at seven o'clock Eastern time, 4 p.m. Pacific. I'm on here. You can send me your questions ahead of time if you want, or you can simply just log on and, and ask questions here like, like Doug did and Angela. You're, you're welcome to log on and do that. But I, I definitely want to be here for you guys every week, answer questions, help you move forward in your journey, whether you're brand new and you really haven't done anything and you're scared to start. Like, um, like we've gotten some, some questions about people who are just, you know, panicked about starting a business, or if you have an existing business and it's, and it's cranking along and you just want to scale it up. Right. I think scale is the thing that people don't focus on very often because most often it's like, how do I even get this thing started? What do I do to actually start my business? And then once it gets started, like I kind of referenced earlier um, tonight is that people get it started and they realize they left a nine to five job 40 hours a week to start a company that they're now working 60, 70, 80 hours at, and they're like a slave to it. So how do you build a business? How do you put together a team? How do you hire effectively? How do you create metrics and KPIs that keep everyone on the same page? Like, how do you scale that business so that you can get that time freedom that you probably wanted 
when you started the business, like it's probably the reason you started it. You wanted that time freedom. That's what I want to talk to you about because it's a super underserved part of the industry, of any industry, frankly. Everyone focuses on that starting. How do we start? How do we get it off the ground? And that's super important because I think that's a lot of people stop right there. But once you get it off the ground, how do you keep it from consuming you and consuming your life and keeping you, you know, from not, you know, you don't start a business so that you can have less time. Most people start a business so they have more time. So let's, let's answer those questions every week. So um, guys, thanks for coming. Thanks for, for joining me on this. If you're watching it after the fact, if you're watching it like tape delayed, or, you know, you're watching the replay uh, thanks for tuning in for that. I appreciate it. Uh, But we are here every Wednesday at seven o'clock for 4 p.m. Pacific. So join me, log on, and uh, let's do this every week. It's been a lot of fun. I'm enjoying doing this. I'm going to keep it going as long as you guys want to to have me do it. So we'll see you next week, guys. Take it easy and uh, go out there and make it happen. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay, until next time.